Some of you have heard the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's such a great story. And for some of you, it's new. Marion and I had only been married about four months. This was way back in the, the late dark ages. And it uh, feels like it seems <laughs> like a long time. 23 years we've been married now. We were married only four months, and I had to go get something at uh, the local Target store, and I, I was going in there, and I don't know Target to save my life. So I'm going down each aisle and looking down the aisle, trying to find what it is I'm looking for, the section. And I see this woman coming up to me in one of the aisles, and she's pushing a cart, and she's just beautiful in the way she carries herself. And so I'm doing one of those, you know, double takes and looking at her. And it literally was three beats before I realized it was Marion. And so the question, of course, is can you get in trouble checking out your own wife? And <laughs> but I didn't recognize her. She wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to be there. It was just the middle of the day in the lunch hour, and she's coming up the aisle. But I didn't see her because I didn't expect to see her there. Go back in time, maybe 20 years. Out of high school, I joined a religious order. I joined the... Uh, Congregational Christian Brothers and the House of Formation was in Chicago. And so, you know, 18 years old, I fly off to Chicago um, to uh, have my first year postulancy there. In the first year, the brothers don't take the habit. And for those of you who are not familiar, the habit is the, they're the blacks, you know, the Roman collar. And the brothers wore the full cassocks, you know, the flowing robes down to, the, down to your ankles. And, but that first year, we just wore our regular clothes. But there was one Saturday afternoon where all of the, the novice master and all the brothers, they went into Chicago uh, for some meeting or something and left us alone. You never should do that. Even in a monastery, you should never do that. But uh, what we thought it would be great to do is we went into the supply cabinet and we all got out the cassocks, we all got out the blacks, and, and there was, uh, you know, there's 10 of us, 18-year-old, 17-year-old guys trying on the cassocks. Now you can imagine this, they're in my room, and uh, in, in the room there was just a bed and a sink and a medicine cabinet with a mirror, you know, and so everybody's laughing and putting on the blacks, and through the buzz of heads I catch a glimpse of someone wearing the Roman collar, and again, it took me this long to realize it was my reflection in the glass. You know, I saw myself, but I didn't recognize myself. I saw something kind of alien. I saw a religious guy, you know, and it was weird because in that moment, it was kind of one of those movie moments where everything just kind of goes silent, and you see that just that tunnel vision, everything's out of focus except that image right in the center. And somehow I just knew that I was never going to wear that habit for real. But I didn't recognize myself. Why don't we? Why does it sometimes take us so long to recognize certain things? Because we don't expect them. Because they stand outside the limits of our comprehension, the limits of our belief system. So we don't see them anymore. Take a look at Luke chapter 24, right at verse 1. And let's see this in action. This is Mary. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they and some others came to the tomb, this is the women, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They entered in and they didn't find Lord Yeshua's body. It happened while they were greatly perplexed about this, I'll bet. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling clothing. Becoming terrified, they bowed their faces down to the earth. And they said to them, those men said to the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He isn't here, but is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? That is an absolutely profound question. It reaches right into the depths of everything that we are. Why do we seek the living among the dead? They were looking for Jesus exactly where they expected him to be. We do the same thing. We look for Jesus exactly where we expect him to be. For Mary, even after years of living with him, eating with him, drinking with him, laughing with him, loving him, hearing him, believing the things that he said, after all of that, she looks for him in the graveyard among the dead because that's where she expected him to be. You know, I used to think that if I could have just walked with the Master, if I could have just walked with Jesus, you know, I would have had great faith. I mean, how could I not walk with him, see all the things that he is? I could have done better than that. I would have recognized him. (laughs) Really? Think so? I spent a decade looking for Jesus in my 30s. And I looked in all the places I expected him to be. I looked for him in the Bible. I looked for him in scripture, in theology, in religious practice. I looked for him in church. I looked for him everywhere I expected him to be for 10 years. And I never really got any closer to him because he wasn't there. The moment that we set a belief in place, the moment that our minds close around a set belief, it stops. It becomes static. It doesn't move anymore. You see, life is defined by motion. Spirit is defined by motion. The very word for spirit in Aramaic, ruha, means breath and wind and spirit all at the same time. Everything is in motion. In Greek, pneuma, same thing. It means respiration. It's always moving. If there is no motion, there is no life. If there is no motion, There is no spirit. Motion is what tells us that something is going on. And as soon as our belief system sets, it stops, it becomes static, it becomes dead, it becomes entombed. And Jesus is not there. Jesus is not in a static belief system. Jesus is forever moving in life. This is something that we have to understand If our belief system isn't moving along with God's spirit and the motion of spirit, how in the world are we ever going to experience a living God? Not a God that's set in stone, a God that's set in the ink on a page. Jesus' friends were only seeing what they expected at first. And we do the same thing. Take a look at John 20, at verse 14. Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turns and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary expected him to be right where she left him on Friday night. That was a reasonable expectation, wouldn't you think? And here she shows up on Sunday morning in the rush to get him into the tomb and the tomb sealed before sundown, before the the Shabbat, Pesach, began. There was no time to anoint the body. And then the, the Passover, Shabbat, begins, the Sabbath, and it goes from sundown to sundown. So after sundown on Saturday, she rushes out to the markets and she buys everything she needs, all the spices, all the supplies, and then she's ready. And she's up all night waiting, and long before dawn, she heads out, and she's wondering who's going to open the, roll the stone away from her. She's on a mission. She's all business. She's taking care of business. Those of you who have experienced real grief, true grief, you know the drill, don't you? I see this all the time when we're doing memorial services here, that the family and the grieving people for the, for the deceased, as long as they're busy, as long as everyone has flown in from the coasts and they're there and, and they're making food and they have all these plans to make, they can hold up pretty well. But it's when everybody goes back home, when life goes back down to what passes for normal, just with that missing piece, is where things really get dicey. Mary's all about the mission, all about the job, and she's trying to make sure that she gets all this done, trying not to think too much. You can almost see it's like one of those cartoon characters where they run out off a cliff and they just keep on going because they don't realize yet that there's nothing underneath them. She's still going, you know? Like that movie where the, the person is upset and they're just speed talking. Oh, no, 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 no. Remember that great scene in uh, Jerry Maguire? You know? Shut up! You had me at hello. Stop talking. It's okay. This is almost what, what Jesus is doing to Mary, you know? Sir, if you've taken him away, then I gotta get you know, Mary. Shut up. Stop. Take a breath. It's okay. And it's that calling of her name, the intimacy of it, the tone of it, the familiarity of it, that breaks the spell. She hears finally. She has laid aside everything that she expected, and she just hears her master's voice and she responds to it and she sees him and I love how spare the the passage is the next words out of Jesus' mouth is don't cling to me so imagine what happened she runs to him she falls at him there's a Jewish custom that the people would kneel down and grasp the feet of the master kiss the feet of the master maybe she's doing that maybe she's got his arms around his ankles maybe she tried to go into a full embrace we don't know Don't cling to me right now. I haven't yet ascended. The tone of voice brings her back. Then at Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, the famous road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Skipping to verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed and broke it, and gave it to him to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Here was this intimate, familiar gesture that they had probably seen a thousand times in all their time with him. Every meal, 
Jesus breaking the bread, blessing the bread, passing it out to them. Their last encounter with him at the Last Supper, breaking the bread, blessing the bread, passing it out to him. This is the, the familiar thing. After the entire walk, talking about scripture, talking about the events that had happened with Jesus, not recognizing who he was until this moment breaks them through. They can finally see who's right in front of their faces. And then at John 21, the verse that Pastor Frank read a little bit ago, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Big announcement there. But it's interesting because maybe it's just not about just going fishing. Maybe it's about going back to his old way of life. Maybe it's about re-entering the details of that life. Maybe it's about him just thinking, this is what I've got to do to survive. Everything that we thought was going to be moving in a different direction is now ended. I'm going fishing. Or maybe he's just going fishing. I don't know. But they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And he answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put, his outer, put off his outer garment. For he, uh, wait, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea and started swimming for shore. This is Peter, the impetuous one. Always jumping, always speaking before thinking and doing all the craziest. You just got to love him for that. But here it is. They didn't recognize Jesus. They were going back to the regular routines and rhythms of their lives. And it's not until this crazy, irrational command comes out of the blue, something that makes absolutely no sense, that breaks that routine, breaks that chain of thought, and opens up their eyes to a new possibility. Something, someone standing on the shore allowed themselves to be childlike again, to just be dependent again, to be vulnerable again. This is what I believe these passages are trying to teach us. We keep looking for the living among the dead because set beliefs limit our vision. As soon as they're set, they stop moving. They're not among the living and we can't see past them because we think we've got it all figure it out. When I was learning to play guitar at the very beginning, I knew about three chords and I thought I was all that and I could start writing songs. And all my songs sounded exactly the same because they all had the same three chords in them, right? So I finally realized, okay, put the guitar away, hear the melody in my head, let it go where it needs to go, figure out the chords later. I was limited by what I had to work with. I was limited by my set belief system. But to let go of that, to let it fall away, to become unconstrained, made all the difference. Death could not contain Jesus. Our beliefs, our expectations, and our three chords are not going to contain him either. Whenever we think we have Jesus all figured out, he isn't there. 
Our beliefs, once set, are entombed among the dead. Jesus is not there. And even after Mary recognizes Jesus, he says, don't cling to me. Why would he say that? What's wrong with a hug, especially under the circumstances? Is that such a big deal? But thinking about it spiritually, thinking about the deeper meaning of such a passage and such a strange command from Jesus, Mary is trying to go back to a relationship the way it was. And it can't be that anymore. The relationship has changed. It's always changing, let's face it. It's going to be different from now on, Mary. Don't cling to me in the same way, but you will find more and deeper ways of connecting with me. When the disciples were freaking out when Jesus told them he was going, he said, it's to your advantage that I go because when I go, then the helper can come. Then the spirit will come. And 50 days later, they found out exactly what that was all about, what he was trying to say. When you let go of this limiting belief, hanging on to my physical presence and become unconstrained, and these things you see me do, you will do, and greater things than these. God is just too big to be contained by notions we cling to. And as painful as it is to let go of them, this is exactly what Jesus is telling us. You need to let go. We say that Jesus lives. We say that he's alive. But that changes absolutely nothing in our lives, personally, if we keep looking for him among the dead. I remember when I was in college, we took whole courses. I was studying literature, so we were taking whole courses on different authors. We took a a whole semester on Shakespeare, and I'm trying to read these plays. And man, if you've ever read Shakespeare before, it's a real slog trying to get through all of that, you know, Elizabethan English and what the heck is going on here. And then I had a and I had an apostrophe. I had an epiphany. I went into the the library and I just listened to the recording of one of the plays. And all of a sudden, the whole thing came alive. It was so easy to understand. We had an actor actually acting out the part. And the point is that Shakespeare isn't meant to be read. Shakespeare is meant to be performed. You know what? The Bible isn't meant to be read. The Bible is meant to be performed. It's meant to be lived out. It's living and active We've got to let it come out and play in our lives or we're not going to get the point. The resurrection is not meant to be remembered. The resurrection is meant to be experienced right here, right now. Jesus is always among the living in each moment of life where we least expect him to be. And as soon as we decide where he's supposed to be, We miss him. We miss the hour of our visitation, like on Palm Sunday. So often we're looking for Jesus in the clouds, somewhere coming in glory. And you know where he is? He's sitting on his heels in the sand, cooking breakfast for us. Are we ready, willing, and able to see him there in the smallest details of our lives? Because if we're not, we're going to miss him over and over and over again. Our lives will lack the meaning and purpose of seeing Jesus in everything we do. When we hear our name called, when we see a familiar gesture, whenever we're shocked by a radically new thought 
a concept, an invitation to do something that we've never done before. Will we be ready to blurt out, Rabuni, teacher, rabbi, master? Are we ready to release the death grip that we have on old patterns of thought, old patterns of behavior, and just jump into the water and start swimming for shore? The shore that is always among the living to find Jesus there in the right middle of our lives. That's what we're looking for. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And that's what these stories, I believe, have for us if we're willing to see. And so, just as the breaking of bread was that familiar gesture that broke everyone through to see Jesus at Emmaus. Now is the time for us to come up and to break bread again. But don't just do it as a remembrance of something that happened. See if the breaking of the bread somehow enters us into an actual meal, an actual encounter with a risen Jesus, a living Lord who is living and active and present among us. It's time to come up and break bread. It's time to come up and make our cross brand new from what it was on Good Friday to what it's going to be this morning. And Pastor Frank is going to tell you, what's up with that?